Grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ on this Sunday of Pentecost. Amen. Have you been thinking about UFOs lately? Yeah, it's been in the news. I have because of the news. The U.S. intelligence agencies are expected to deliver a report to the Senate next month on everything the Pentagon knows about UFOs. This is nothing new. They've been doing this every decade since the 1950s. But it's also because I started reading a a classic book from 1970 called Operation Trojan Horse. The author, John Keel, makes an interesting case, one not heard very often, but it is an interesting alternative to the usual UFOs are alien spacecraft theory. Keel says UFOs are not what they appear. Well, what are they then? That's outside the scope of our text today from Acts. What our text and John Keel's hypothesis on UFOs have in common is the flames of the Holy Spirit over the people at Pentecost are not what they appear. Notice in verse 3, Luke says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on them, not Tongues of fire. This is important because we often picture this event with little flames hanging over the apostles' heads. However, while it appeared to be as fire, words are not adequate enough to describe this amazing event. No doubt, the people were surprised by this. Of all the religious experiences people had in the Bible, this one at Pentecost has got to be one of the most bizarre and mysterious. Mysterious in that, what was its purpose? And why this one time only? Why not today? Why can't you and I have this amazing religious experience as Christians today, assuming we would want it in the first place? As you know, we Lutherans typically don't seek this kind of experience. We would say our baptism was our religious experience. Every Sunday we come to hear the Word of God, partake in His body and blood for the forgiveness of our sin. That's our religious experience. Nevertheless, we've all seen artists' impression of this incredible day. I get this one out of the children's Bible that I use uh, in chapel here with the preschool. The Holy Spirit is a person of God, one of the three persons of the Trinity, and He is a spirit, which means He doesn't have a physical body like Jesus does. One could also say God the Father has a physical body, since Isaiah and John have both reported seeing Him in that form, although it was more majestic looking than a a human. But the Holy Spirit appeared in the form like fire to people gathered to celebrate the Jewish feast of Pentecost. For the sake of the people who were there, he became visible. He wanted people to see the evidence of his presence and be comforted by it. God is powerful. And when he interacts with his people in the Bible, extraordinary things happen. Perhaps this is why we sometimes want a religious experience of some kind. We want what these people had. 
But let's back up for a second and remember that we're not in Jerusalem in the days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Jerusalem was a hub of international activity in those days. It, it still is today, mainly for tourism, because of what happened in those days. But here you've got these men and women from Galilee who spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, and maybe some Greek, you know, because Greek had become the common language throughout Judea for trade and business and news and so forth. But there were so many other peoples with their own languages all around there. And the message of Jesus needed to go out and be understood. These people who received the ability to speak different languages from the power of the Holy Spirit spread the word to the various regions of the Roman Empire and beyond. An amazing miracle. And this is the part of Pentecost that we Christians remember most. What were some of the reactions? You heard them a moment ago when I read the reading. You remember what some of the reactions were? Yeah, well, okay, so you went right to the, the drunken part. That's kind of the funny part, isn't it? You know, they, they got mocked, accused of being drunk. What was, the, what was another one? Amazement, that's right. You know, Peter and the others remained steadfast in fulfilling the promise made long ago by the prophet Joel that God would pour out His Spirit on all people. And uh, that's why I also included that reading from Isaiah, because Isaiah makes that same, uh, uh, conveys that same promise from God as well. What does this fulfillment then mean to us? Well, it means your baptism was the fulfillment of this promise. I baptized three young people here a couple weeks ago. In the last 12 years, I've baptized 83 people of all ages. That's more than I've done funerals. So that's pretty good, huh? You know, it, 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 it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is active, powerful, and constantly at work, even here in this little corner of Sherwood. And remember, we are baptized once with water and God's Word. Yet it is a daily washing away of sin every day afterwards. Even as you sit here now, God is pouring out His Spirit on you. Where's the evidence for UFOs? Not clear. Pictures and videos are grainy and fuzzy and hazy. You and I, though, are the clear evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit done by the voices of those faithful Christians from Pentecost. Somehow, the good news of Jesus Christ reached our ears and hearts. For me, it might have been during chapel at Lancaster Christian School when I was in the fifth grade, because I didn't go to church, and I didn't hear it at home. For you, it was whenever when you were at church, at home. You know, everybody's got a different story, yet similar in that faith was created in you by the Holy Spirit in hearing baptism and hearing more and more that Jesus died for you to save you from sin, death, and the devil. This assurance can energize us to be people of Pentecost. Because Paul says to the church for all time, 
We are the jars of clay bearing the treasure. And what's the treasure? It's many things. Chief among them is the forgiveness of sins. Jill and I were talking the other day about releasing oneself from heavy guilt. You know, how, how, do, how, do, how do people get out of the crushing weight of guilt if they have it? Actually, she did more talking about it because she's got ideas uh, for a book about it. I do too. I want to write a book on UFOs. No, I'm just... But you know, she, did you, you know, Jill's actually a better pastor than I am. She really is. And, and, you know, she's done a tremendous job encouraging, building people up and so forth behind the scenes of the word and sacrament and visitation ministry that I do. But we were talking about this. You know, what about the guilt which, which people cannot get out from under? And I'm not talking about the, oh, perhaps I haven't read my Bible as much as I should have guilt. You know, I'm talking about the heavy stuff. You know, I put mom or dad in a nursing home, and I feel utterly terrible about it. You know, I had sexual relations with someone I shouldn't have all those years ago, and the guilt just won't go away. I said or did something bad to my children, and I deserve to die. You know, I lied my way or stepped on people through life to get where I wanted to go, and I realized it was wrong, and it's too late to do anything about it. Whatever it is. I mean, broken people make up the church. Sure, some have had or are having a more charmed life compared to others. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Through all this, though, the Lord uses people like us Broken people, crushed with guilt, sinful and unclean, to speak and tell others about the solution, Jesus. And how are we even able to do this? It's by the Holy Spirit living in us. Whenever we're disappointed at the things that we can't seem to get past, our hang-ups, our addictions, our complexes, we remember our gracious God who sacrificed himself for us on the cross to forgive you and me all our sin. He did not remain dead there, but kept his promise by conquering sin and death for you. By his conquering power given to you by the Holy Spirit, our God will accomplish his will through us, just the way the Galileans became the proclaimers of the Almighty God on Pentecost. This is the mission of the church now, until that other day that the prophet Joel foresaw, when Pete, and the one Peter preached about as well, when the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. Now, you've heard the saying, things are not always what they appear to be, UFOs included. Pentecost, well, we have the description from Luke. No doubt, though, it was too supernatural a thing to put into words, yet it's these words, authored by the Holy Spirit, which give us life, comfort, and hope. So whatever the events they speak about appear to be or not, the emphasis is, and the most important thing is, what's being said because it's by hearing 
that we believe and not by sight, right? So fire appeared on that day as tongues of flame since the Holy Spirit works through the apostles' speech. So it's not so much this as it is this. Ooh, that looks like it would hurt, doesn't it? Yeah. From this event, we receive the gift of hearing what this powerful message of the gospel has to give. God says to you, you are my child. You are forgiven. You will be with me in paradise forever. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.